Welcome everybody to the Spawn of Me podcast. This is episode 109 of our show. I'm your host and my name is Khalif Adams and I'm joined this week and every week with my man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow, that dude from the other side of Bricago, Cicero, the hand, Bartholomew Holmes. How are you, sir? I am the greatest, the greatest of all time. Don't understand why I can't make rhymes. I was going to do something crazy, but then I forgot it. Um, that, so that was awful. It was awful. I mean, but, <laughs> that was but, really bad. but listen, I mean, that was what Bricago expects from me. I expect uh, more from you. I, I'm expecting the hottest 16 to come. You you are right now, you are the hottest rapper. You are the you are the Drake of Bricago. How are you not <laughs> spitting hot the hottest of fires on every show? Uh because my um What's that dumbass thing that he uses to fake sing all the time? <laughs> that that shit is broken. I can't I can't uh I can't get my Your zap and Roger. Yeah, yeah, my auto tune. <laughs> I can't get my zap and Roger uh <laughs> thing to work to get some computer love. And and you know what? The rhyme that I just spit was as hot as his new album. So Man. Oh man, can we can we talk about that for a no? No, we can't. No, it's a, it's a really crap album. It was funny. So really quick, I was listening. My boy is an MC. Shout out to Phase One out in the Bronx. Yes. Uh, one of the dopest cats out there. Anyway, he was like, "Yo, that new Drake album is out," and I was like, "Okay, that's going to be real interesting to see how this is." And he sent me this video. Of did you ever remember the video where Kanye did the whole like uh, he when he started to talk about. Um, fashion and he was in yes. that studio and he was having that one-on-one with that dude zane yes so so drake was having his one-on-one with zane and zane said who's supposed to be this really prolific uh writer about music he's been doing this for a really long time he's very well uh respected he was like yeah you know and he has he had the he, anytime you have a british accent it makes everything sound dope of course right? so he was like <laughs> he was like and I just want to say someone say you have like a wonderful sound and you sound wonderful and you and and, and the sort you do is is it's like modern day classics. And I had to turn it off because he <laughs> called a Drake anything a modern day classic. Yeah. And I wanted to throw things. <laughs> I wanted to throw things around the room. I was sad. Yeah, it yeah, made me sad. Yeah, listen. Kids today, that's all I'm gonna say. I shake my <laughs> fist into the internet. Oh my god. How was your week though? Was I, your week all right? Was it Drake Drake esque? Yeah, it was my my week, um as as most of my weeks have been recently. My week has been very, very busy. Uh but hey man, I'm still here, I'm still kicking, I still have a smile on my face. I am still happy to be a resident of Bricago. So really, that's all that fucking matters, man. The rent is pretty cheap here, so the, you're not going to kick out anytime soon. I don't think we have a lot of gentrification in, in right. The rent ain't too damn high. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! How you um, doing? Uh, I'm good. By the time you uh, folks are hearing this on Tuesday, I will still be in Oklahoma. Oh yeah. I'm going to go see my wife's nephew graduate school. He's graduating college, which All makes right. me feel really old. Mazel tov. <laughs> Words. Well, that makes me well, feel really old. Well, I, I would say mazel tov to Oklahoma, but in Oklahoma, you say, get her done. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then you run. Right, and then you run. And then you run. Uh, so I'm going, I'll, I'll be down there with, with uh, my folks and my family and stuff down there hanging out. 
uh, and uh, missing out on freaking uh, Uncharted 4's release. Yeah, Thanks, uh-huh. wife. <laughs> Thanks, wife, making me miss on Uncharted 4's release to go see people walk. Jesus Christmas. Anyway, um, yeah, but it's, it, it's, it's a good week. I had a good week, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, we have to definitely thank uh, and shout out last week's guest. Uh, we had Jeff Mattis who came on and hung out with us and talked a whole bunch of dopeness about uh, Narcosis game, yes. which is definitely cool. Um, and his work in the VR space and the VR in the VO space because yeah. now he's doing a VO game. <laughs> he's doing a VR game with his VO in it. Yes, that is um, correct. Lots of V's. That is, lots of V's. Um, uh, so definitely a big shout out to him. And, uh, we got a lot of cool feedback about that show actually. And, uh, I may, I may figure out a time to read that maybe during this episode that we got one really cool one about something that we talked about in that show, uh, which was about the PlayStation four Neo stuff. Hmm. Uh, so, so we got some feedback on that that I want to definitely share. Um, cause our readers are dope and um, our readers are dope. Our listeners are dope. Jeez. You're not reading anything. Yeah. Ricardo is dope. Yeah. Um, and speaking of dope folks, speaking of dope folks, we oh. have a dope guest this week. We have a very dope guest this week. So this young man, we, we, we've we been following his stuff for a bit yeah. now. Um, I remember I became acquainted with the game that he's making in an early piece that was done on Polygon some while ago. Two years um, ago. Almost. And it was, a, I know yeah. it's crazy how quickly that has gone. Um, and uh, he was making a game where he is making a game called We Are Chicago. Um, and it was this tale of uh, kind of a, a story from from an urban perspective about a young kid who's trying to make it out of the make it out of his neighborhood pretty much without without uh, falling into the, the evil hands of all the things that, that society will try to do to a young kid in the, in the hood. Um, so I definitely want to say what's up and thanks for coming on to Michael Block for for, for coming and hanging out with us this week on Picago's Spawn on Me podcast. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh my super gosh! Excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, super excited to have you, man. I know we saw each other. We finally got to meet at GDC this year. Yeah, um, it was a long time coming. It's always hard to get people together because you're just always running around like a mad person uh, during GDC week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but how are you been doing? How's everything been going? You have a lot of stuff on your plate right now. You've been doing a lot of stuff with We Are Chicago. Um, I know from 2014. I think that was when the Polygon piece came out. Yeah. So now a lot has changed, but but how how are things going in your world? Going pretty good. Yeah, we just got back. Um, we were in New York for Indicade, uh, mm-hmm. Indicade East uh, this last weekend, um, and then we were at PAX East showing the game. Uh, so that was exciting. Um, we got we had a, a Vive demo. Actually, speaking of VR, oh. Uh, oh. so that was that was an experience trying to <laughs> demo that on a conference floor is always fun. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. It was a good show, and and uh, we got to show the game to a lot of people and and get a get a little more exposure for We Are Chicago, which is always good. We Are Chicago available on Steam, right? Uh, uh, soon. uh will be soon. Soon, soon. yes. <laughs> um, for the uninitiated, uh, what yeah. is We Are Chicago? And then sure. and so, then also because I got to throw curveballs. Explain how yeah. We Are Chicago on the Vive works. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, so the, the basic premise of the game, uh, it's very similar to any of the kind of Telltale-like experiences. So Life is Strange, Walking Dead, Wolf Among Us, Game of Thrones, all those kinds of games. Uh, very similar, like, conversation-driven mm-hmm. game. Um, but it's all based on true stories. So we did a bunch of interviews at the beginning of the process to 
kind of figure out what to talk about in the game. Uh, and then we brought a writer in who's from Englewood and has lived there for most of his life. Uh, and he's now raising a daughter there. Uh, and so he was able to kind of speak to, um, you know, both the experiences of growing up, uh, supplemented with the interviews that we did, um, in addition to kind of the roles of the parents in the game, raising a kid in, in a neighborhood like Englewood, um, and the experiences on, on both sides of that. Um, so the game kind of has you playing through the life of a teenage boy about to graduate from high school, and, and you're going through these ordinary experiences, but with this, this backdrop of uh, kind of having to deal with your friends making some poor choices around joining gangs and, and getting involved in things that uh, put you in violent confrontations. Um, and so you're kind of experiencing uh, the, the ordinary events with these very, like, high-impact um, but realistic events of, of what we heard people talk about in the interviews. So, And that, yeah, the, the Vibe experience was interesting. Uh, we kind of just took a, a sample of the game, um, which is uh, this scene where you're sitting down at dinner and you're hanging out with your family, and we took that and, and just translated it directly into the Vibe so you can walk around the room and explore the space and kind of look around at stuff. Uh, and then when it comes time to set the table, you can actually, you know, with the Vive controllers, the motion controllers, you can pick up the plates and put stuff on the table and lay everything out. And then when the, the gunshot goes off outside, you know, you're in this, like, VR setting, and you've kind of been in this state of, like, oh, everything's normal, everything's ordinary, and then all of a sudden something very dramatic happens. So, yeah. So I, so I got a chance to, to, to watch some other folks play the game. I, I, I messed around with it a little bit at GDC, but not much. When you guys were, when you guys were running away, you guys were busy doing stuff. Yeah. Like, like peeked in and stuff. Yeah. And it was interesting to see just how people's reactions were viscerally to, to the game itself. Like it's, it's pulling from a lot of experiences that I know that the, the folks that you started the process with, started the, started the conversations with, are very uh, are very close to them in their in their life uh, right. journeys. Was it something where you got some feedback during the process as well? From you know, I'm, I'm going to push it a little bit forward to, to you know closer day as opposed to when you first started the process. But when you were hearing things from the the players that you got some feedback was, did you feel like some of that as well felt like they could feel the empathetic parts of the narrative that you're trying to convey? Did you feel like the, the message is kind of coming across uh, in the way that you wanted it to? Yeah, actually, so I got a chance to speak basically about the, the impact that our game has had so far um, mm. from showing it at conventions uh, at GDC. Um, and that was uh, one of the things that we did find was that people would consistently have more nuanced things to say about the characters and about the environment once they'd, they'd kind of played through the experience, which is really like important to us, like we want it to have an impact and have a positive impact. Um, and so kind of being able to see people come in and maybe not saying things that were particularly awesome about the characters or the setting, uh, and then play the demo for 20 minutes and, and come away having these more like nuanced conversations was really satisfying, right? To, to see mm. that they had that kind of change of opinion and, and change of mindset. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something that we're still trying to you know, figure out if we can do it more effectively, figure out if there's anything that we can change or, or kind of tweak in the story to make it more impactful and to, and to get that message across better. Um, because that's kind of the, the end goal of, of the project, right? We want it to be this engaging narrative experience, but we want it to also um, kind of have people walk away and, and be more empathetic towards people who are living in these neighborhoods and, and experiencing these things. Because 
you know, empathy is, is what we really need in this situation. And we're not getting it from, you know, statistics about gun violence and, and shooting deaths mm-hmm. and things like that. So, yeah. So, um, uh, you mentioned Englewood and you said that one of the writers is from Englewood. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Chicago topography and geography, uh, Englewood is basically the southwest side, not really the west west side of Chicago, but um, is uh, deep in the south side when you hear about uh, south side of Chicago and, and crazy things happening. Englewood is definitely one of the places that you hear about. Um have you had a chance to take the game to some of the people in Chicago, to some schools, uh, to some kids, and, and get uh, both feedback and reactions from them vis-a-vis the accuracy of, of the game? Yeah, yeah. So we've, um, we've been working with some nonprofit okay. groups um, that, are, that are doing stuff on the, on the South Side, particularly around um, kind of like providing after-school opportunities and things sure. like that for kids on, on the South Side. Uh, and so we've been working with them to try to start scheduling playtests now that the game is kind of in a state where we can play mm-hmm. through the whole thing and, and have them experience the whole thing. Um, we haven't gotten a chance to do that yet with, with the nonprofit groups, but one of the conferences that we went to was in okay. Indianapolis. Uh, and there were actually a lot of kids that came from Chicago and specifically from the South and West Side uh, to come to the convention uh, and play the game, and the feedback that they were giving us was really positive, um, which was really great. Uh, but yeah, we definitely want to do more of that and and make sure that you know we're representing things well. Uh, we did have we did have one opportunity uh, rather recently where there were some kids that were coming in for a different uh, kind of games empathy and games workshop that was being held at DePaul, uh, which is one of the mm-hmm. the colleges in in Chicago and. Uh, we got a chance to show an early cut of our trailer for the game uh, to those kids, um, and they had really good reactions, but they also, there was one kid uh, in particular who responded to one of the shots that we had where somebody was being like held up at gunpoint, uh, and he was saying that that was kind of uh, a little too real for him because he had just recently been held right. up at gunpoint. Mm. Um, and so we're trying to kind of, take some of that in and, and make some, some changes so that we can maybe give people the option to play the game in a way that wouldn't necessarily visually depict that stuff. Um, if they want to play the experience, but don't want to be kind of triggered by those, those real life scenarios that may have happened to them. Um, so yeah, so we're trying to kind of get as much feedback to that end as possible so that as, as wide of an audience as possible can play the game and enjoy it and, and get something out of it, um, without, you know, causing people harm or, or things like that. So cool. Cool. Um, so you, uh, Michael are, and, and we kind of talked about this, like I said, you know, we heard about this probably about two years ago. It was one of the very yeah. first stories, uh, in the very early episodes of, uh, of spawn on me that we actually talked about. We are Chicago and, you know, read the piece and, and discuss it on the show. Um, you're, you're not from the South side of Chicago. You don't uh, represent, you know, how can we put it? You don't represent uh, necessarily the demographics that are represented in the the south side of Chicago. He's white, y'all. He's white, y'all. Right. Um, I, I am white. I'm, I'm a white, a white boy from Wisconsin. So, yeah. <laughs> two, two questions. Um, the first is, yeah. the first is what made you decide that this was the game that you wanted to make. Uh, and, and secondly, 
what do you say to the people who say who who get what gives you the right to decide that you can make this game yeah so i mean the the reason that i think this is a super important sure. story to tell and that i i want to be you know telling the story in a game in particular is i think you know living here i've been in chicago when we started the project i've been in chicago for probably five or six years at that point um and the the experience that I had, I lived on the north side the entire time that I was here. Um, I very rarely ever went to the south side. I very rarely ever went to the right. west side of Chicago. And and the experiences that people were telling us when we started talking to people and started interviewing people were so vastly different than the experiences that I had growing up and the experiences that I had living on the north side that it was like kind of shocking to me that I hadn't sure. heard this stuff in, in a very... Um, personal way before like I'd heard some mm. of the statistics and you hear about you know right. how violent it is and all that kind of stuff but you don't really hear about what that actually means to, to real people um, and so feeling like that was kind of this gap in our in our media about what was being said it seemed like it needed to be talked about for sure and that games provided a way for us to um, you know instead of passively kind of just seeing people living these lives, uh, you could actively be involved in it and you could kind of have to make some of those really hard decisions right. that people have to make day to day, uh, that, you know, they're in situations that, you know, have lack of job opportunities and lack of good education and lack of all these, you know, things that we kind of take for granted on the North side or, or even in, you know, small town Wisconsin. Right. And, and those things, people just kind of assume everyone has right, when you right. have them. Right. Uh, and so, and so if you're in a position where you have to make these decisions and you realize, oh, these aren't choices for some people, uh, that I think is a, a much more impactful thing than just watching like mm -hmm. a documentary or, or something like that about what's happening. Um, yeah. So I guess to the, to the point of like, should I be allowed to make the, <laughs> is that, yeah. Like, should I be allowed to make the game? Right. Uh, sure. Sure. I, I don't know. I don't know if you've actually heard that argument. Yeah, I, so, so one thing that we've definitely gotten, and I'm I'm really glad that we've gotten it. To be totally honest, is uh, people coming up to us and saying like, "Okay, cool. I like the premise. I like the idea. It looks good, right. but you know, I don't see any people of color, you know, demoing the game or or things like that. So, what's going right. on here? Like, are you doing this right? Um, and I think I think those kinds of questions should be getting asked and everybody should be getting asked those questions because mm -hmm. I think it'll make sure. the games better. Uh, I think that when right. people ask those types of questions, it's to make sure that representation is being done well. Um, and I think that's mm -hmm. hugely important. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that when we release the game, everyone will see this and, and say like, Oh, cool. You can make a game that represents people accurately and is respectful and is talking about these issues in a serious way, but is still in a compelling narrative experience. And, and you can have that kind of mix and that'll kind of hopefully break down some of the, the barriers that people set up and say like, Oh, well, we can't tell a story with, you know, people of color or with women or with other, you know, uh, underrepresented groups, you know, there's no, there's no excuses. Once you get a couple of good games that come out that, that do a good job with it, you know, it, it starts breaking down those excuses and hopefully makes the whole industry a little bit more, um, diverse and, and starts talking about, you know, different things in, in the industry. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that, um, you know, we've, we've done a good job 
hopefully, of, of you know, bringing in a writer from the neighborhood. And we have uh, some of our artists are also from the South Side. Um, so they've kind of been able to contribute to that. Um, and we're not, you know, just like saying like, well, this is what we think is happening on the South Side of Chicago, right? We try to do <laughs> as much research as we can. Uh, and, and really bring people on to make sure that we're doing a good job and try to right. try to do play tests and, and fact check and all that kind of stuff to make sure that, you know, we don't we don't mess this up because it is it is really important. Right. Right. So uh, you let's let's uh, take a second and shout out the the writer from Inglewood. Yeah. Uh, what's his what's his uh, name? Tony Thornton. Tony Thornton. What up? Yo? <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, yeah. So I, I know that. So Tony didn't. So you went to Loyola. Or you went to DePaul? I went to DePaul, yeah. You went to DePaul. Yeah. So so Tony didn't go to DePaul with you. You right. found Tony afterwards. Yeah. As you were developing the game and you, you started, you know, you had the idea and you were starting to develop the game. You've, you've sought, sought someone out. You found Tony. Right. And uh, you brought him on board. Did he, Did at any point, did he come to you and say, this isn't right? you know, it should be, it should be this, or, um, you know, no one would do this. No one would talk this way or these things aren't correct. And can you kind of elaborate on, on those instances if that, if that happened? Yeah. So I think a lot of times, uh, what ended up happening was more to the effect of I had in my head some way that an event was going to play out, or I had some idea of like what I thought was going to happen, um, and it would, you know, he would come back with, with the script and it would be very different from what I had expected to have right. in the script. And it'd be like, oh, okay, look, like, let's talk about this and like figure out where the disconnect is. Um, sure. And then, and then when we were talking things through, he would explain, uh, you know, like there was a the particular scene that I had mentioned earlier where, you know, you're sitting down to dinner and the gunshot goes off. And to me, I kind of had this thing of like, oh, the reaction is going to be really strong. People are going to like freak out because there's a gunshot. Um, and he was like, well... It's a pretty regular occurrence. It right. happens. Mm-hmm. It happens fairly regularly. So people don't right. necessarily freak out um, if it doesn't seem like anybody in the house was hit and that the house wasn't hit. Nobody's like shooting constantly. Um, you right. kind of just kind of go along with your day to day. And so I think stuff like that came out, um, but there wasn't really any situation where you know. Uh, we had a, a disagreement or something, and, and I was like, "Well, no, we're still doing it this other way, right?" It was, it was, it was always. I like, know better than you. Right, right, right. That would be amazing. I would kind of, I would love to be a fly in the wall if that ever happened. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So I mean, there were definitely situations where like I had certain expectations going in, uh, and then those did not happen. Um, but it was always more of just a learning experience for me, and and less like I was like, "No, this is how it's going to be." Um, so yeah, I think we definitely had those moments, but it wasn't, uh, I I think it just made the game better. Uh, there, there were situations where we had to kind of go back and forth to make sure that the player would understand what was happening because in a lot Mm. of these situations, there is kind of this like cultural disconnect between, you know, kind of what's, what's typically like what our target audience was, which is like people who are not from this neighborhood. Um, we want to, we want to educate people who are not from this neighborhood about what's happening. Uh, and so when you have that cultural disconnect, you have to figure out how to message um, the differences in a way that makes sense to that, that audience. Mm. Um, but I think that was, that was probably the extent of, of any disagreements was just like, hey, let's figure out how we can like, reframe this or get somebody to like, talk about it in the scene so that we can explain to the player what's actually happening. 
I like that. And what, one of the things that I that I was so intrigued with uh, when I first learned about the game was was the racial dynamic between you being this white guy who's not from this place and kind of digging into the stories that are happening around you that you don't necessarily know because of various reasons, because of money, because of uh, uh, privilege. There are all those things that are in that, in that circle, in that conversation. And one of the frustrating things that we have often as black folks is like, when stories like this come out, are they again being told from a very nuanced perspective, from a, from a perspective of, of um, being interested and not being um, exoticized in some way of like, oh, look at the yeah. people over there going right. through all this crazy shit. Right. I know we, I know me and C, we're both in interracial relationships, and we know we've had these conversations with our with our significant others, and they have had mm-hmm. their own come to come to privilege moments, if you want to call it right. that. Yeah. <laughs> Did did going through the process of making We Are Chicago kind of open your eyes a little bit more to the holes in the quote unquote holes in your own privilege game, as we say, is like, did you did it open you up into kind of seeing more things uh, that you might not have kind of figured and seen before? Yeah, I mean, this this game has definitely kind of messed me up like this. <laughs> There's been a lot of things that I've kind of assumed for a very long time are kind of normal and, and maybe like like the average experience sort of idea, right? Like that, that whole concept, like, I think maybe this, maybe this is just a a thing that happens when you're coming from like a privileged background, but it Mm. it feels like everybody kind of has this understanding of like, well, what I went through when I grew up is like what everybody went through or like, you know, like, (laughs) kind of like, don't think about it too hard. And then when stuff like that gets challenged, um, you know, really interesting things come out of it and you start to realize what you had that other people did not. Um, mm. and yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely been a lot of discussion, uh, particularly in the game industry, you know, lots of people have been having discussions about representation in games and representation on development teams, um, and kind of the, the privileges and the, and the structures that are kind of keeping people from being, you know, able to, to take advantage of, of game development. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of those discussions have brought out even more, um, more things that i didn't think about consciously and and that now I am. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely been eye opening. <laughs> um, and there's, and there's been a lot of like, uh, you know, kind of self self questioning of like, okay, so, you know, one of the, one of the things with this game, really the reason that I can make this game is because I had a very successful game before, um, that was, you know, very entertainment focused, uh, game. And, Go ahead. Uh, don't uh, don't be shy. Name drop, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the game was Oregon Trail. So it was a zombie Oregon Trail. Uh, <laughs> nice, game. nice. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and it did it did really well, and that was awesome. And it gave me the opportunity to work on this, which is great. Um, but even with that, like we kind of had this thing of like, oh, we're pretty good. Like we had a pretty good hit for like an indie game, but it like wasn't crazy amazing. And as we've been like talking to people who are way more famous than we are. Um, we're realizing that we actually sold a lot more units than they did. Uh, and so like even stuff like that, like we didn't really have any kind of um, perspective on a lot of stuff. Uh, you kind of just assume like, oh, this is an average experience and, and not like, oh man, I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, and so, yeah, I think a lot of that stuff has kind of been eye-opening and it's also been kind of like, okay, so how do I, how do I reconcile this, right? That I've been 
able to go to college, I've been able to go to a good school, I was able to pay for it, I was able to get a good job out of school and, and kind of pay down all of my student loans. And all of that has kind of put me in a position to take advantage of the skills that I have to really, you know, do something cool. But like, you know, what, what are the kind of trade-offs that I have to, to do then? You know, like a lot of that came from being privileged and being, uh, you know, from a family that was privileged already. So, you know, how do you kind of reconcile that? And, and it's been, yeah, something that I'm still trying to figure out. I don't know that I will ever figure it out, but uh, I think it's just kind of like a, a lifelong thing that you just have to keep thinking about and keep making sure that you're not, you know, abusing in some way. Yeah, I think I think and that's a great point. You know, yeah. we're, we're all trying to figure this thing out together in real time, in yeah. real feelings. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's it is it is kind of virtual reality in another sort, you yeah. know, where it's like trying to figure out what the meta of all this is when you're actually living it. And how do you kind of talk about that in a real way? It's been it's been fun to kind of see the reaction to the game in a lot of ways where people did have those kinds of um, aversion, not necessarily to it, but to the concept of it. Yeah. And then to see people move past that. Um, right. It's how, how does it feel, especially because this is a thing, too. You know, games like this are not easy to market. Games right. like this are not easy to, to sell, quote unquote, to, to the mass market. This would be probably categorized as a very, very niche niche game, and coming off of a pretty pretty cool financial successful uh, game before, we hope that this one will be as well. But how does it feel knowing that this may be something that's going to be more about getting the getting the the feels in and getting people to kind of change perspective, yeah. and knowing how the market usually treats games like that right. that are you know. They may they may be in your heart but not in your pocket. You know what I mean? Right, in right. those kinds of deals. Does it does it feel a little bit weird to be kind of moving towards a project that may be doing that, maybe doing greater 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 good things, but not greater pocket things? Yeah, I mean that's definitely been something that we've discussed kind of the whole the whole time through. Um, and we've actually kind of shifted the way that we've been marketing the game. Um, because originally we kind of we were coming at it as like, oh, what's what's the unique thing about this game? And we're like, oh, it's like a documentary experience, and that's really like interesting to us as developers. But it's mm. not particularly compelling to a mass market. There isn't like a gamer out there, a, a large gamer demographic that's like, oh, I'm waiting for a documentary game, right? Uh, so, so, so yeah, Ken so burns like, the game, right? right yeah, so it's like, it's like, well, hmm, how do we how do we do this? Uh, so now we've kind of taken this approach of like, hey, this is a really compelling narrative experience, and and you know we're trying to play up some of the the mystery a little bit in the game. Uh, there's like some things that happen at the beginning of the game where one of your friends basically you know disappears and you don't know what happened to them, um, and so you're trying to figure out through the through the course of the game what's going on. And that was always part of the story, but we're just kind of talking about that more than the, the documentary side. Because I think people hear documentary and they're like, oh, this is going to be very academic. And I don't, I don't know if I want to <laughs> do anything with this. So, um, so yeah, so I think a lot of it is just trying to figure out how to, how to explain the game to people in a way that will get them interested uh, so that they get in the door. And then, you know, basically what we've seen is once people sit down and they start playing, they get very engaged with the characters. They get very engaged with the setting. And they're very interested to find out what's going to happen next. Um, and so I feel like once we get people in the game, we don't really have a problem kind of keeping them through the through the experience. It's more about how do we get them in the door, right? right? Uh, mm. And so that's been a struggle and, and trying to find, you know, the right balance of like how much kind of 
drama do we play up in a way that doesn't necessarily, you know, reflect badly on the, the people in the story um, mm. because they're, they're real stories. Right. So we don't want it to reflect badly on, on those characters. Right. Um, so that's been like a very difficult, like fine line to try to walk. Um, but I think it's, it's, I think the only way that we can really get kind of a mass market appeal is, is to kind of figure out what that right balance is. Hmm. So. so I'm, I'm going to ask a question. Um, it's a, it's a very serious one. Um, but it's not quite as heavy as the other ones, but it's, okay. but it's equally as serious. Sure. Um, who's the sponsor and what's your choice? Harold's J and J's or sharks. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it is self-funded, so we don't have, we don't have a sponsor. Oh, you, didn't go, you didn't go to any of those guys. Um, I mean, so, so the, I mean, so, uh, for those, for those of you who know, um, but of course you should know because it's coming from me. Uh, those are all, uh, food places, uh, specifically chicken slash fish, fish joints. Uh, Harold's is world famous. Harold's chicken. Um, the other yeah. two, the the Kennedy fried chicken to uh, to Harold's chicken is J and J's fish, and then there's also Shark's Fish Mart. Um, but you you can't you can't have a game about the South Side of Chicago if you don't have one of those places in there. So so <laughs> um, so one of those places yeah. are in there. Maybe you've got like Guppies. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we, we did, um, we did put in, uh, a restaurant. So your place of employment is a, a restaurant, uh, and it is, um, we used a lot of, of Harold's chicken for reference. Uh, so that was, that was definitely there. Um, I wish, I wish we would have talked to you earlier because Guppies is a pretty awesome name for a a fish place. You can no. you can you can add it in the in the in the DLC and just credit me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> Did you? It, that that kind of leads into a good question, right? It's like, so you've been in you've been in Chicago how long now? Uh, probably seven eight years now. Seven yeah. eight years now. And I think at a certain point you kind of adopt a place, right? right. Where you right. move there and you kind of take on some of the characteristics and you take on some of the the. The, the verbiage and nomenclature and all the other stuff that goes along with uh, with being in a place. Yeah. What what has been some of the stuff that you've picked up in your in your move from Wisconsin? Because they're not that far, but right. Wisconsin to to Chicago now. Do you feel like you've uh, taken some of the South Side with you in any ways that that, that have stuck? Hmm. Interesting. Well, so uh, the, so the the real question is: Do you put ketchup on your hot dogs still? Oh, oh god! <laughs> so, so this is probably this is probably going to be uh, you know terrible. But I'm I'm vegan, uh, so I don't even eat the hot I don't dogs. Eat, so I don't I'm know. like the worst Chicago. Yeah, I don't I don't eat the hot dogs either. So I think that might have been the most controversial thing that we discussed. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. Man, I don't know. Uh, let me think. I don't know. I like my my parents. Like everybody from Wisconsin, always complains about how like terrible everyone in Chicago drives. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and I, I feel like I may have picked up some of that. I don't actually have a car, but like I I drive like <laughs> enough, and like I I feel like they don't like how I drive do, anymore. <laughs> do you do you still use turn signals when you when you yeah, change, you when do. you change lanes? Well, if you do, then you then you haven't become a Chicagoan yet. 
Uh, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> right. I'm not converted yeah. yet. Because okay. I, I tell you what. So this is this is my adopted home. I've lived here now for ten years. Um, I I will still say, you guys, you Chicagoans, Illinoisans. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you bastards, there's that thing on the left-hand side of the steering column that indicates right, right. where you're going to move right. when you're in your death machine. So please use that. Right. It's not a new no, invention No, no, no. Like it's, it's been around, it's been for, around a while. for a while. You know, you know, for, for a while. Right. So. I, I bike. I bike basically everywhere because I don't right. have a car. And uh, yeah, turn signals. They're really yes. awesome. Yes, please, please, please. Oh, man. <laughs> in Chicago, yeah. everyone uses their turn signal. So, <laughs> no, I was gonna say I, I remember we we talked a little bit about this um, in the beginning of the show and talked mm. about some of the folks that you spoke with when you got some feedback about yeah. the game, and they were like, "Hey, this is a little bit too real." Right? Were, were there were there parts of the game besides the one example that you gave uh, already that might have? that you were thinking about putting into the game that you, that you got some feedback again and said, you know, maybe this is a thing, especially when you started to think about the kind of VR tw twist on the game too, sure. where this may be a thing where, you know, maybe a little bit too triggering. Cause I know I personally have stories that I, from my growing up in the Bronx yeah. that I'm pretty candid. And if you ask me a question about like, Hey, did you grow up in a rough neighborhood? I was like, yeah, I grew up in, in the rough South Bronx. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah like, I was in the northeast. I was in the oh, northeast. Oh, yeah, Bronx. then never mind. You you didn't you didn't have my life. They had flowers yeah, up yeah, there. Whatever. So they, they yeah, we had flowers in the northeast yeah, Bronx. There yeah, are no flowers yeah, in the southeast no, Bronx. Nah, nah, son. But even but even that, you know, there was like I've seen some crazy shit go down in, in, right. in my years. Ha, has there been any of that stuff too? Because I'm sure that that's touching upon you know the narrative bits of the game in a real way. Um, any of those too that that jumped in there that that maybe not maybe didn't get into the game? Yeah. So. I mean, originally, I think if we had come at it from the perspective of making the game with the kind of Southside audience in mind, uh, we probably would have made some different choices. Um, originally, mm -hmm. the intent of the game was really to target people who didn't know what was going on and hadn't lived those experiences uh, and to kind of educate them. Um, but as we've been working with some of the nonprofit groups and talking to more people, um, a lot of people have been telling us, you know, like, hey, this game could be really important for people who are from right. these neighborhoods and, and are growing up in these situations to kind of have a place where they can kind of experiment and, like, try stuff out and, like, see what happens if people make these choices this way. What would happen if I decided to do this thing instead of the thing that I maybe should be doing, right? And and so I think with that different perspective, it, it does make these situations a lot um a lot more difficult. The things that we're presenting are are a little bit harder for people who may have actually experienced mm -hmm. some of this before. Um, and I think we probably would have made some different choices about how we were presenting it, or or even from the beginning, kind of um, started with the idea in mind that we would do kind of like a trigger-free version of the game, right? Mm. Uh, which is something that we're kind of contemplating doing right now is is to kind of have a mode that you could toggle that would essentially. The story would still play out the same way, um, but instead of visually depicting it, you kind of just get an explanation of what's happening um, to kind of make it a little less, um, you know, real and in your face and, and all that. Uh, so, yeah, so we're trying we're trying kind of now to retroactively make some of those decisions, I think, uh, that that we didn't really we didn't really have anything in mind originally because it wasn't, I guess, like what we had decided was our target audience. 
Um, and so now we're kind of trying to, to make up for that and, and see if we can keep the game uh, in its current form, uh, but make it a, a, a more accessible game to people who might get triggered by some of the stuff that's in the game. Is the game itself, um, I, I guess, well, all right. So I guess two questions. So the first is, you you mentioned the Telltale games um, and in terms of the narrative, but is it also a branching storyline in, in that same way where you can make choices and 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 depending on the choice that you make, you'd have a receive a different outcome, or is it is it very very linear? Yeah. So the the subjects that we wanted to talk about, we wanted to kind of have everyone experience. Uh, so you can't like branch your way out of a, a particular event. Um, but what we've, what we've done with the game is kind of had it be more about these kind of interpersonal relationships with your friends, with your family. Um, and so if you're saying things to your friends constantly that are like berating them or, or being really obnoxious and, and talking down to them, then they're not going to be very friendly later on in the game. Right. Um, so the so the events don't necessarily change, but kind of who's on your side and 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 how they feel about you is is the stuff that you have control over. Um, so your choices do matter; they just aren't going to like drastically change the the entire course of events. Um, so yeah, trying to find a middle ground because uh, our our team is is not super huge. Uh, Telltale's got a, a few more people on staff than we do, so uh, so it was kind of one of those things of like kind of pick and choose your battles and and try to try to make the best game experience that we can with the team that we have. So, Okay. That's, that's awesome. Cause I know that I remember seeing an interview you did at PAX East and you were like, Hey, we don't have that many people. Right. <laughs> it's okay. We don't have that many people. We're trying to work our way through it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, you know what? It's an interesting question too. Uh, an interesting thing too is because games that broach these kinds of situations and broach these kinds of conversations are usually done fairly badly. Right. <laughs> um, and and what I've noticed from at least some of the footage that I've seen and some of the stuff that I've gotten a chance to mess with, you guys are handling this in a really nuanced way. I saw also in between the time that we first kind of uh, had our eyes on the game and uh, now there's been maybe one or two games that have kind of delved into some of these kinds of things. Like uh, I would say the NBA 2K uh, Spike Lee story was fairly good in that respect. Um, has, have there been any um, inspirations besides the books that you've read? I remember in the Polygon article about some of those things mm. that thematically you've kind of incorporated into uh, we are Chicago that has made it uh, where what it is today. So speaking to like the more nuanced depictions. Yeah. Like the more nuanced depictions of, of, of kind of black life in, in, in urban settings, you know, we see it's usually very high or low. There isn't very middle, isn't a lot of middle ground in, in right. the way that uh, those, those stories are told. Yeah. Uh, so honestly, like I think the, the biggest kind of thing that's been kind of shaping some of my, my thought processes at least um, about mm. it uh, over, over the course of the whole project, honestly, is, is like all of the stuff that ta Coates has been writing. Um, mm. That stuff has been really fascinating to read. And uh, like a lot of it is very, um, you know, very personal, but it's, it's very like 
well spoken and then like just the way that it's done is is like oh okay i get this like i understand what he's saying and it and it's something that you can like relate to and, and understand mm. on like a very personal level um and so i think a lot of that has been really fascinating and he he does like a really great job of kind of taking a long like history of things and compressing it down into something that's very digestible and understandable um mm. and i don't think we're anywhere near uh his level um but but it's it's been good to kind of like um get some of that like background and understanding of like you know as as we've been going through a lot of this stuff we've been kind of having discussions as as you know members of the team and just being like like how did this how did we get here right like how did a lot of this stuff happen you know which i think is super important to understanding so that we can kind of go forward and try to change some of this and and make things better right Um, and so i think a lot of the stuff that he's been writing has kind of been filling in some of those gaps um to talk about you know why why did we get here how did we get here and and you know what are the things that are happening now that maybe we could change and, and go forward with right yeah Tanahasi is is brilliant in yeah. in so many ways where he's he's hitting he's hitting these subjects in in ways that is making people um think in different ways and is also making the status quo very very uncomfortable which is what i yeah. like right right uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, and and I and I think to a certain extent, when you were having the the, the kind of early parts of this conversation, um, both in the the early articles and other subsequent things that I've heard you, you do and speak about the game, you know that I, the idea of that 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 uh, beginning audience that you wanted to reach, right? You know, I'm I'm hoping that that is that that one white kid who didn't necessarily have the idea that oh it is very different on the other side of the tracks or my life isn't isn't as bad as i thought it was in comparison when i see oh these folks are living in 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 much in much dire straits but they're also just as human as i am sure you know and i think that that's that's hopefully what um we are Chicago is going to be able to convey to a lot of people. And I'm excited for that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that these kinds of stories are coming out from various segments of, of the space, but especially um, coming from, from, from this perspective, which I think is, is rare and also kind of needed. You know what I mean? Like I, I want everyone to be able to, to, to digest these stories and also tell these stories. I think there's a lot of pushback sometimes from the black community about um, people who are not, of that culture because a lot of times white people get it wrong sure yeah yeah no <laughs> you know what i mean so 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 i'm excited for for the ability that you decided to take this on i think it's i think it's important i think it's i think it's a um it's brave in some ways where it's it's like you you it, it's like one of those things if you get it right you get it right if you get it wrong people are gonna let you know <laughs> yeah 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 and i i think i think the the biggest thing that you know i've kind of seen when, when i was at gdc last year uh there was a panel that i went to uh, that was about like diversity in games, and a lot of people were saying then, and there were a bunch of talks this year at GDC and at um, Indiecade and, and places like that where people were saying, "Hey, we need more diversity in games." And mm-hmm. even if you aren't from that background, you can have diverse characters represented in your games. You can have diverse storytelling and, and settings and environments, and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Just do it right. You know, like do the research, right. talk to people, bring people onto your team, like make it right. And, and it's going to be great, you know, like this is stuff that we need. Um, and so I think uh, the the trend is is going in that direction now. Um, and I think it's it's really great. Uh, you know, in a couple of years, hopefully it'll it'll be a much more normal thing. And that will be great. And we can kind of 
you know, get yeah. get more content from more people uh, and, and really make the space a lot cooler. So, yeah. Absolutely. I'm, and, and my personal hope for for you and for your crew who's, who's making this game is that a part of the story making process, a part of the game making process is one in which some of those people who are in these stories get to learn from you folks that maybe if they want to tell their own stories, they'll be able to as well. Because I think that's a thing that in that same section of folks who are like, we need more diversity, we need more diversity. There is that part of it too, where it's like, we need to be able to show people how to make these things and also help them share their stories in ways as well. So yeah. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, you know, let me know. Yeah, we, we actually, we had a really awesome uh, kind of conversation uh, at PAX East. I got to meet um, the guy that's running the studio, the Kiro Game Studio in oh, Cameroon. Oh, Madiba. Yeah, yeah Madiba Olivier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, he stopped by our booth and, and he actually told us that like he saw articles about our game and kind of had hope that like because our game was doing this, that people would be interested in games about diverse characters. And it was just kind of like, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that's so cool. Yeah, so, like, hopefully, you know, as our game gets out, and, and, you know, we've been getting a lot of press, so, like, hopefully that's kind of encouraging the people um, and and kind of, yeah, building up people's ideas that, yeah, you can make games about, you know, people of color, and it's it's totally a a normal thing, and, and you should do it, and that's exciting, yeah. So before we let you go, um, uh, if you have any last things, if you want to get the big pitch out there for, for We Are Chicago, what is, the, what is the things that you want people to know about, about this game? Uh, hmm. So again, we're, we're hoping to come out soon. Uh, we're, we're still working on finalizing a date, um, but if you want to keep up with the game, uh, our website is wearechicagogame.com, and we have an email sign up on there and links to our Twitter and all that. Um, so you can kind of keep up with the game there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're really, we're really excited. I don't know if there's a whole lot else that I have to talk about right now, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, I would tell everybody, you know, definitely, definitely when this comes out, this, I think, I think this is an important game. I, I usually don't just say things because it's like, that sounds nice to say right. on on the <laughs> podcast, but, but having, having been, um, privy to some of the things that, 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 kind of make this game tick and, and hearing you speak so, so, so eloquently about, you know, your perspective and how you are, how you are, are deftly um, having to kind of uh, straddle a very difficult line. It's not an easy line to, to, to straddle right. and you're doing it in a way that makes me happy because it makes it, it, I can tell that you get it. And that's the part that I'm hearing from the conversation is that, yeah. you know, and from any, every, every conversation we've had is that you and your crew are, are, doing this from uh, a, a place of, 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 of heart and a place of, of great thought. And you're really trying to take care of this in a way that is um, really good, is really great. And I'm, and I'm happy that you're doing it. Um, Thanks. <laughs> so we're going to let you boogie. Um, we're going to jump into our ad break. If there are uh, any ways that other people can contact you uh, maybe Twitter or any of that kind of stuff. You want to share some of that out too? Uh, yeah, sure. So my personal Twitter is uh, Micah Micam. So it's M-I-K-A-M-I-K-E-M. Uh, and I think on the website, there's like contact info for the game. Uh, and that goes to me as well. So if you want to email 
the the company you can email me through the company and i'll get that so dope dope yeah. dope uh so thanks mike uh we definitely will be taking a look at this and uh when it drops we will definitely talking about it playing it and sharing our findings on the show and we'd love to have you back uh when everything when everything drops yeah thanks for having me Absolutely, man. Uh, so good to talk to you again. Um, so we're going to jump into our ad break. This is episode 109 of the Spawn of Me podcast. We'll be right back after this. What's up, y'all? This is Sharif Jackson, host of Gaming Looks Good, a YouTube series where we focus on diversity in video games, race, gender, and sexuality. Check out the full archive of videos at GamingLooksGood.com. You're listening to Spawn on Me on ESN.FM. Well, I, I want to say to everyone that it's, you know, Mother's Day just passed. Uh, Father's Day is coming up. And you want to start getting ready for your Father's Day gifts. And there's no better gift than some great basics in the form of Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is better than anything that you're wearing right now. Uh, it feels great. Again, like I've said before, my conversion to uh, an all Mac Weldon lifestyle is complete. I am <laughs> Mac Weldon out. I am the Mac of Mac Weldon. You should be too. Get that Mac Weldon. It's antimicrobial. It feels great. It's the best thing that you could ever put on your body. Um, and uh, Reef, why don't you tell them exactly what they can do and where they need to go and how much they can save with Mac Weldon? Yeah, so make sure that y'all go to MacWeldon.com. Like, you can basically get T-shirts, undergarments, um, and it's just it's really comfortable. Um, and, yeah, man, it, it's really – it feels like a luxury item, you know. And I'm not someone – you know, I don't dress in the finest uh, like uh, like uh, Louis Vuitton and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I know you might think so, but I don't. Mm. So, like, Mac Weldon is, is like a nice – a nice small luxury to add to your life. So if you go to MacWelton.com and you use the code SPAWN at checkout, you'll get 20% off of your order. Um, they have a great refund policy. You can basically like like return things that you don't like for any reason. Um, so, yeah, I would highly recommend that you check out MacWelton. They're great. That they are. Uh, and what is great is the return of episode 109 of the Spawn on Me podcast. Uh, I am Stubby Stan. We have lost uh, Khalif Adams. He fell into an abyss. Uh, he went to Chicago, had some heralds, and now he caught the itis and he's sleeping now. Um, but I found, I found some great replacements, even better replacements than the great captain. I've got... Our former minister of no finance, Mr. Sharif Jackson. What are you doing? How are you today, sir? I mean, where's the Harolds, man? Like, I'm about to, I'm about to go find Kyle. I want some chicken now. <laughs> yeah, you know, hot, hot, hot and barbecue. Yeah, yeah, man. Where is that man? You know, yeah. as, as long as long as he's not eating the hot dogs with no ketchup, Word. Um, I'm good. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 then we went, uh, we got we got a little West Coast flavor. Uh, we went a little international. We got uh, the one and only, the uh, one third of the Gamer Tag Radio crew, the vicious one, 
the crazy guns, Vicious 696, a.k.a. Paris Lily. How are you today, sir? Uh, I'm good, and thank you for having me here. Now, on my drive over to Chicago, I happened to take a right turn down Sesame Street, and I saw Khalif hanging out by the garbage cans with Oscar the Grouch because he has <laughs> got to be the most angriest, grouchiest person I've ever met in my life, but I, I still love the brother. I also have to say, I am wearing right now Mac Weldon draws because I love Mac Weldon too. They, they make some good draws, they, man. They, Great underwear. It is. Hashtag dope draws. Hashtag dope draws. And yes, Khalif is the Kamudgeon. Yeah, he's so the grouch. He, yeah, he is. And we love him for it. Right. He's definitely hanging out there with Wormy. Um, <laughs> um, you know, speaking of grouches, though, actually, that was a great segue. Uh, well done, Paris. You, you've probably been doing this for a while. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> is um, the the. The Call of Duty franchise, surprise, surprise, will be out. A, a new game will be out this November. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Shocking. Yes. Isn't it, though? Um, you never would have guessed. Uh, this time around, it is Infinity Ward, and they went to the branding gurus. They grabbed the Mad Men and came up with the title Infinite Warfare um, for their latest game, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare will be out this November, a trailer released last week, and it showed them not only in space, because they've been in space before, but now they're going to be flying in space, and we're going to have space dogfighting. Isn't everyone excited? Apparently not. Um, <laughs> people are not excited about that. And I'm going to go around the horn really quickly and, and ask, ask you guys exactly uh, how you felt about it and, and what you're, you know, why you think people aren't excited. Um, you know, because we, we saw uh, EA with Battlefront come out and there was no dogfighting in Battlefront. Um, but now we've got space dogfighting and people aren't excited. Reef, why is that? Because it's Call of Duty. Okay. Um, so I've been one that have been saying that I know Call of Duty is a huge sales juggernaut. Um, you know, I know that, you know, a big company like Activision is really, you know, not going to be taking huge risks on their big money franchise every year. Um, so I do have to applaud them because this is a risky move. Right. I mean, it's one thing to have s some of the changes that they've had in their previous games but it's another thing to take on the physics and the feel of flying um you know so i think that this is a big risk i applaud them for that at the same time i'm not confident that they can pull it off um and the thing about it is they need to pull off something that you know, is as accessible as, you know, as the normal Call of Duty kind of franchise is, but also it's fun. And I think that's hard to do with flying games. I think it's much easier to, like, do when you're, you know, on the ground and, like, you move, you jump, and you strafe, and uh, that kind of thing. One of the reasons why the game has been really popular is because, you know, people can easily kind of grasp that. And, you know, and like some Call, some Call of Duty and Battlefield games have had those like on rails kind of like shooting kind of sequences in the in the air. But if they're not going to do that here and they're giving you like complete 360 control of a ship, 
I mean, that is a huge task. Right. Um, especially for a series, you know, for like an annual, well, I guess a two-year series from uh, each developer. No, three um, years, because there's three. It's three. Yeah, yeah, three, three, three right. teams now. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I applaud the risk. Um, I... I'm not confident that they can pull it off. I hope that I'm proven wrong, um, you know. But yeah, I mean, I just, I just got to see. It. I got to see some more. Okay, okay. Uh, Paris, what do you what do you think about this? I mean, to be honest with you, when when the news uh, leaked out and then we got that reveal trailer, I was just numb to it. Mm-hmm. It's, to, and I've been saying this for the last few years. Anyways, this is literally the same game we've been playing. We've been playing this game for ten years. It's the same game since two thousand seven. Right. They sprinkle a little, little on here, a little on there, but essentially at its core, nothing's really changed. And kind of going back to what Reef is saying, that's okay. It's it's become this esport phenomenon. Right. The campaign, they're literally just making that campaign at this point just to have a checkbox. Because people come to play this game for the multiplayer. Right. Do, do not be fooled at all. No one's playing this for the campaign. Right. So as long as people are still buying this game in droves, as long as you go to these eSport events for these Call of Duty tournaments and they're sold out and these, these, these players are treated like rock stars and are sponsored by you know, PlayStation and, you know, whoever else. And Rockstar and Energy sti- Drink. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and and Call of Duty continues to be the number one selling game year after year. Activision would be insane to mess with that formula until they're given a reason to mess with it. So like Reef saying, in a crazy way, it, it is almost like I should applaud them for at least adding on the space stuff, even though I have no interest in it, mm-hmm. you know? Because, like, because, like, like I said, and I know you're going to get into this in a little bit, but like, even all the people with all the downvotes on YouTube right. on the video and they're criticizing and all that, I will 100 percent guarantee you when the dust settles at the end of 2016, guess what the number one game is going to be? Yep. It's going to be Call of Duty. All right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and that, that's that does beg the question. So um, there was a a kind of a meme going around that showed. Uh, so there was a big dust-up kerfuffle when Modern Warfare 2 came out, uh, was announced, and there was this Steam campaign to ban, to boycott the game. Um, and that group, once the game was released, someone took a screenshot of that group, um, and this screenshot had like 25 people in it, and like 20 of them were actually playing Modern Warfare 2. While you know, at that particular time, so, <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, so do we think it's much to do about nothing, or, or are people having Call of Duty fatigue, or and does it even matter, Paris? I don't think it matters because until we actually see sales numbers that show a a steep decline right. in sales. Why should Activision care what we think? Right. I mean, we're we're really just the vocal minority in this. The because because again, my eyes got were, were open wide last year. I went to a uh, Call of Duty tournament, like the the championships right. out here in L.A., and I, I could not believe it. I mean, literally, where we go for E3 is where they hold it. Sold out. Sold out. You know. Right. Wasn't was an empty seat in the house. Everyone's cheering. Everyone knows all all the players in it. Just on and on and on. It was like this big deal, wow. and it was like, wait, there's an entire other world out here with this game that I'm just not seeing. 
you know, now I get it. Now I get why Turner Sports is doing esports, ESPN is doing esports. It, it all started to make sense to me. They ain't making this game for us anymore. Right. They're making this game for these people that love the Starcrafts of the world and, and and these shooters and all these tournaments where they all can get together and they cheer it like it's a sport and it makes money like it's a sport. I mean, that's at the end of the day that we need to realize. Activision is a business. Right. And they're in this to make money and they are making money. So why, why would they even sweat anything that us grumpy Oscar the Grouch Khalif type people right. are complaining about? You know what I mean? They don't care what we say because the, the average consumer is saying, guess what? On 11-4-2016, I will be standing outside at midnight to get this game. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's not changing. Yeah. Well, uh, Reef, what do you think? Do you think uh, it's going to change? Do you think uh, this... This game is going to to lose money or not make as much as oh, it'll, it previous definitely titles. Won't lose money. Um, it will make a lot, especially. I mean, you know, we don't know it when these like you know neos or whatever come out, but right. you know, if if this is going to be like w- one of those games where they're going to be advertising these big differences, the, I mean, the game is going to make money. Like, it's going to make a lot of money, whether it meets their projections. Um, I honestly don't see any reason why it wouldn't. I can't see anybody that would normally buy Call of Duty say, well, I'm not going to buy it because of the space stuff, man. Like, they're still going to buy it. Um, you know, and and l- like um, Paris like was saying, the whole eSport part of it, they're definitely going to buy it. You know, so you have sort of the professionals for the tournaments buying it. You have parents going into the store only knowing – Call Call of Duty, they're they're buying it, and people that have been playing it for the last you know however many years are buying it. So um, I don't think that they're going to have any problem with this thing flying off the shelves for every console. Um, though I do want to mention, I believe this is the first one that's not going to be for 360. Um, yes. And PS3. Uh, uh, no, no. Last year's was. Uh, oh no no no! Last year was no last no no year, no! Year, it was no last, last year was last 360. Year, yeah, it was yeah. on mm-hmm. 360 and PS3. Yep, yeah right. yeah. I don't think it had a campaign last year. No no, it didn't uh, have a campaign. It, did, it was just but, multiplayer. Right. So they're finally finally um, you know not holding themselves back. So right. Um, so like that's a good move, obviously. Um, but yeah, this this is gonna fly off the shelves. It's gonna set records again. Um, they're gonna have some more uh, commercials with like slow motion things kind of blowing up and uh, mm-hmm. emotional music going on. So you know, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a Call of Duty. But in in the back of my mind, I do hope that they pull off this game. I do hope that like they surprise people and that you know, like you know journalists that are admittedly kind of cynical about the series at this point might be like, wow, they, they went for it and they actually pulled off a decent, you know, arcade space fighting game. Like hmm. who knows, you know, like right. it, it could happen, Yeah, you well. know, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't, put, I wouldn't put, put my money on it. Well, um, a company that wants you to put your money on them is electronic arts with their version of the big esports shooter genre uh, with their franchise Battlefield. Now, in the beginning of the week, we had the reveal of Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. At the end of the week, we had the reveal of Battlefield 1. And yes, 1, 1. And our very first image of Battlefield 1 was a leaked one 
of a black dude holding a cudgel with fire and all sorts of crazy shit. He had the Doctor Strange trench coat on, and there was a <laughs> Zeppelin above him. And everybody's like, Wisco Tangy, Wisco Tangy, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, um, what is happening right here? And then we got the reveal, the, the, the trailer reveal of the actual game. Um, Paris, I know that you, you actually, you were uh, combing Twitter and you saw some interesting tidbits from the uh, Call of Duty reveal that the one of the dice devs um, kind of put out there. He put out some shade, some uh, little competitive shade. What did he say? And uh, do you think it his shade was well justified after the reveal? Well, to to kind of just sum it all, yeah, all sure. up, he was he was basically saying that oh look at those 2010 graphics. <laughs> Wait until our reveal. We're gonna blow it out of the water. Blah 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 blah. Here. Here's my thing. Mm-hmm. It, it is one thing to talk trash, right? Mm-hmm. right? To throw some shade, competitive shade. I, I totally get that. Bravo. But I, I throw the question back at you. Did you see anything in that reveal that then made you said, well, gee, Call of Duty really is just 2010 graphics because this is like some next level stuff. I mean, other than when they did the close up of the one guy's face and he had the pretty eyes, I was like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I, I wasn't seeing And again, this is not trashing what Battlefield potentially Battlefield one potentially could be, because I do like that they're going with this alt world war one, you know, scenario. Right. But the dice trash talk of the game, I didn't see anything that just was absolutely stunning. Like, Oh my God, I've never seen this in a video game before. I just, I think that was a little, a little just trying to grab, grab attention right. to basically, Hey, it worked. Right. Cause we were talking about right. it. Right? right. But I don't think what he was trash talking about was actually justified. Mm. So I, I would say that, uh, the trailer that the battlefield one trailer to me looked prettier than the Call of Duty one. But I I only say that because the Battlefield 1 one, um the Battlefield <laughs> 1 trailer didn't didn't have any gameplay in it. All of the everything mm-hmm. that was in it was was uh those are you know those were like Blur Studio rendered videos. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and it looked ama- it looked amazing with a yeah, you know, with uh, with uh, the the windmill collapsing and you know all the crazy stuff, and you look at the person with the as as Paris said with the pretty eyes, the dude with the pretty eyes, it's but like um, smacked with a shovel. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> like all, all of that stuff looked amazing, but there was no gameplay. Now, if that's the game engine that we saw that stuff from, then yeah, I think that everything that that dude from Dice said was was completely on you know that was completely on point but i don't believe for a second that that was actual gameplay no it was an actual gameplay now i i I will say i had a little birdie tweet in my ear Uh right after right after it happened and they did tell me that yeah that that is the game engine i mean they even said that during the reveal it was the game engine but that is legit the game engine and and this unnamed person did tell me, yes, Battlefield One does look amazing in motion. But like like I said on Gamertag Radio, that's all fine and dandy. The reveal did its job of 
getting me interested to want to see more. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I'm not a believer until A, I have a controller in my hand or B, I'm standing over the shoulder of someone with a controller in their hand and we're actually playing the game. I got to see it. I've been fooled way too many times in my video game life to go by anything that marketing tells me. Mm -hmm. I have to see the real game in action yeah, and, before before I before I care. Yeah, and like specifically with Battlefield, um 3 and 4 both looked incredible in the trailer and when you played it problem was a lot of people couldn't play it because right. it was so For damn buggy long, long time. Yeah. when both games came out mm, um, exactly that you know that it was a freaking mess right. um hardline did a little better but i would argue that hardline wasn't really a visual leap it was more like a battlefield for you know not a mod but like well i'm, I'm only talking on the visual basis it basically looked like four right so like this is really the next game where dice is really amping it up um so yeah, I mean it's gonna be just like three and four, where it looks super beautiful in the uh, in the in the trailer. Um, I'm sure the actual game will look great. I have no doubts about that. But I feel like they still have this stigma to battle against, where you know, are their games gonna launch in a condition where you know you don't have these uh, you know huge uh, problems with like both the graphics and the servers? Right. You know? Right. Now. One thing that gets me really excited about Battlefield, and I kind of alluded to it uh, when I was talking about it initially, is the fact that uh, part of one of the pre-order bonuses is uh, access to the Harlem Hellfighters, who um, they were uh, they were a, a, an actual regiment out of New York um, that that fought with that were American soldiers that were um, kind of part, cordoned off in France and just given to the French. And they were, uh, they, they served and, and uh, performed more hours of combat than any other unit, um, than almost any other unit in, in World War I uh, for the Americans. Uh, so, so for me, what I'm excited about is the fact that we will actually have black characters in the game of substance um, for, the, for the very first time in a military shooter. Now, so my question with that, and we can't answer this, right. uh, but so f from what I know, the Harlem Hellfighter stuff is like DLs, like digital deluxe extra stuff that if you pay extra, you get those downloads. I don't know if this is integrated into the story proper. Okay. Um, if it is, that's great. I haven't seen anything confirming that. I don't know, Paris, if like you have. Um, but in the stuff that I've seen, this is like, hey, if you buy the deluxe stuff, get these skins and you get these like weapons that you know that add on to the Hellfighter thing. So while I hope that that's the case, that that's actually integrated um, into the game, I don't know it is. Um, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, b but like that is the cover art that they're using. Um, which is in incredible. Right. Um, and I actually did, you know, I did some research on the Hellfighters. And one dope thing that I found out about them is that, you know, um, there were black people that fought in these wars, but they had to enlist in the French or Canadian armies. Yeah. So, like, this was, like, you know, so, like, they went down as, as the first people actually able to fight on um, you know, quote, unquote, as Americans in the U.S. Army. Right. Um, so dope. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I really hope that they're integrated. But I don't know. 
Yeah, Paris, have you heard anything? Uh, you know, has your little birdie told no, you no, whether I'm, or not, not. <laughs> whether or not there'd be hot no. sauce um, no, in the in the campaign? <laughs> so I guess we'll we'll find that out at EA Play this uh, uh, right before E3 this year, uh, since we'll all be there, uh, which is dope. Um, yeah. But but yeah, but you know, outside of that, uh, what you know, what's what's everybody's feelings on? Battlefield, and we haven't gotten a release date yet, right? Uh, no release date for Battlefield. There isn't really a lot of. Uh, I thought it was October twenty third or twenty sixth. Oh, okay, there you go. So I mean, it's generally around that time. It's late October when you know, late October before Call of Duty. Um, do you do you think? Do you think based on what we've seen so far? This is a serious competitive uh, competitor for Call of Duty for Infinite Warfare. I, I would say it is uh, in that this is you know Battlefield every year is constantly iterating and, and fine tuning their multiplayer. I, I I think their their multiplayer is, is a different style than Call of Duty. I think you can be invested into both, right. so to speak, but. You know, like I was just saying before, you know, but with Call of Duty, it, it's still the goat. It's still the leader at the table. Right. You know, Battle, Battlefield is is the little brother just trying to compete. So I don't I don't think this is going to be the year that all of a sudden they're going to overtake Call of Duty or anything. But um, I think you know, obviously, it's going to have a a great chance to be a solid entry in the series and, and garner more interest in them. The thing with with Battlefield versus Call of Duty, in my personal opinion, goes back to the whole esport thing. I know Battlefield, you know, starting to get into that and they're doing it more, but they're just not on that that level just yet. Hmm. I mean, I think they still have a ways to go. Uh, Reef, uh, what do you what do you think it would take for Battlefield to surpass Call oh, of Duty? Oh man, I don't. I don't think it could happen. Hmm. Just because Battlefield, as like Paris said, it's a more it's a slower, more tactical right. game. Not saying that that. You know, like there's definitely games that are very successful on the esports market. You know, you know, like the MOBAs and the leagues and the Starcrafts and stuff that are slower and tactical. But in terms of like a shooter, I think that you know people are much more apt to, you know, to like the Counter Strike or the Call of Duty um, right. style of games that, that that are much more fast paced. And you can't have a fast paced World War One game. Like it just wouldn't make any sense. Right. Um, yeah. So that's one thing that I think. Um, I don't want to say holds it back, but like people have to go into this game with that perspective that you know you're gonna have slow reloading weapons and like it's not gonna be like you know you're firing off drones and you know and switching right. between all that stuff. I think that we're at a time where there, believe it or not, there might be a lot of gamers that have only played the modern warfare and modern right. series of these games, right? Right, because it was Battlefield 2 and uh, I believe Call of Duty World, World at War, I think, was the last one that was, right. um, you know, not not, not, modern not a modern game. Right. So people might really have had their sort of meat, meat and potatoes experiences on the modern games. And so they might be thrown for a loop, um, you know, with uh, with Battlefield 1. With that said, I think it is the right strategic decision um, for um, them to take this uh, series I honestly don't think they've been successful in sort of their modern era games 3 and 4 um, I think that they've looked great I think that you know 
not that Call of Duty is like a master of, you know, campaigns, but for what they are, basically like, you know, eight hour action movies, um, you know, I feel like DICE really tried to copy that and they really didn't do it well. Um, I thought that, you know, that, you know, on the multiplayer level, though, it's been great. But, you know, because of that sort of slower, more team oriented stuff, I don't think that that in an American market will ever surpass more of the frantic um, pace of a Call of Duty game. It's just better to watch. Right. You know, right. and that's yeah, and that's what it comes down to um, mm-hmm. when you're talking about esports um, and when you're talking about being able to like sell a game, you know, in like advertisements and a massive scale. Uh, Battlefield 3 and 4 did have some really dope, dope commercials, though. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, especially with the vehicles and stuff, it's a better game for me personally. But, you know, best game doesn't always sell the most. You know, it's just yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Um, and and ironically enough, because I, I, I just looked it up, uh, the Activision uh, CEO, Eric uh, Hirschberg, even said with all the dislikes on YouTube, he pointed to all all the high number of sales of previous Call of Duty games for his response. So it's like, dude, kiss the ring. (laughs) You know, that's what he's saying. He's like, look, you dummies keep buying it, so we ain't changing nothing, you know? Yeah, Yeah, but but I am more excited for Battlefield 1 than Call of Duty, I'll say. Agreed. Um, I am too. But Battlefield 2, I sunk so many hours of that game, learn how to fly a damn jet and crashing it every time. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it was just a, you know, that, yeah, that's like, uh, I have as fond memories with that as I do with the early kind of Call of Duty games. So yeah, I'm I'm really amped for uh, this game more than uh, Infinite, Infinite, Infinite Warfare. It never stops. (laughs) So I, I think the the interesting thing here is the dichotomy of setting, um, and you guys both kind of alluded to it, and and that the the ability to play in Battlefield One in the the first Great War, World War One, at the, the turn of the twentieth century, um, is something that we really, honestly, I don't know that we've had a a real chance to play in video games. Um, there have been a couple of games where there were some flight simulators where you played, uh, you know, like Red Baron, you know, versus the Red Baron and, you know, a couple of, a couple of games like that. Uh, but there haven't been uh, very many um, and definitely really none of note uh, to tackle World War One. Um, so I, I'm really, really interested to see how, um, that definitely excites me. And I know you, you guys said it excites you. It'll be interesting to see how it excites the rest of the gaming populace. Yeah. Now, I, I have a question for sure. uh, you guys. So for Call of Duty, they're remastering Modern Warfare. Uh, right. So, so like Call of Duty 4. Mm-hmm. Um, from the brief trailers, that, from the brief clips that they showed, it looks really good. Like this isn't just like an upscale like it looks good right but you can't buy it by itself it's right. only part of the minimum $80 digital deluxe version do you guys think because so the only reason that they did this to me is to get people to order this version right. do you think that this is actually going to push sales of these digital deluxe versions uh yes. yeah yeah it, it is it, it I, I wouldn't even be shocked 
if I'm not going to say it's going to be the lead skew I think for it. But yeah, but it would be darn close. Yeah. It, it might almost be on par. It, it, you know, like he, like uh, Cicero was saying, because that's the draw this year mm-hmm. is to get Modern Warfare, all those multiplayer maps on your Xbox One or your PlayStation Four. Yeah. That's the big draw, and people are going to spend. If you're a Call of Duty fan, you're spending eighty bucks. Yep. You're not spending sixty. Yep. You're going to spend eighty. Yep. Yeah, it, it's a pretty genius move, I think, by them, um, because you know, if if you don't, you know, if you don't have, you know. Modern Warfare on your PC. I mean, you haven't played this game in long time, you know. Right. So it's a it's a good revisiting. And as I said on a previous show, I know people did get Call of Duty for the single player, but yo, I really identify with Price and Soap and all these kind of like campy action characters. Um, they were pretty dope, um, you, you, you know. Um, when when I was playing through those first couple of like Modern Warfare games, so I'm I'm definitely you know that excites me more than Infinite Warfare, and it's a genius move because I don't know if they did they expect that. Do you think? Like, uh, where the where the where they like yo like just in case they're a little creaky on this new Infinite Warfare thing, they'll definitely be hyped for this. Like, I think yeah. it's pretty. I th- I think I think what what really kind of spurred this along was the fact that they knew uh, backwards compatibility was going to be a thing for the Xbox one. And that one of the highest requested titles was modern warfare, and modern warfare two to be uh, backwards compatible with the Xbox one. Uh, and so they saw that and said, well, Hey, what would it take to up and remaster modern warfare they probably thought about both of them, to be honest, um, but they just they just went ahead and did Modern Warfare for whatever reason, um, and maybe they'll do Modern Warfare two at some later point. Um, oh yeah, if it's successful, they absolutely yeah, will. Yeah, um, <laughs> without a doubt. So so that that's I, I I think it I think it was like look look people have been clamoring for this title, uh, so let's give it to them. Um, we're not going to give them the backwards compatibility. We're going to give them a remastered version of it. We're going to upsell them, you know, 20 bucks on the, the price of this, of our new game or a new title and see, and see if it sticks. And I think they believe that it will. I'm confident that it will. Oh yeah. And again, this is a business. That was a smart business move. Instead of just like you said, saying, all right, backwards compatibility, you can go back and play it and we're not profiting from this. We'll hey, we'll throw some dev money at it. We'll, you know, we'll reuse assets, get it into the you know into this new remaster. We'll charge you twenty dollars for it, and you're gonna buy it because yep. you want to play it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that, that, that it's smart. Yeah. Why not? And like you said, if this is a success, which I think it absolutely will be, they'll do it next year with Modern Warfare Two. They'll do it the year after Black, you know, Black Ops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Every year they'll add this little this little cookie mm. onto the meal. To Damn. get you to spend more money, Damn. so all of a sudden now Call of Duty isn't sixty bucks every year; it's, it's, it's eighty bucks. <laughs> all I know is if, if if they do it with like Call of Duty two, like people, 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 man, I would, I would be like, I don't care what your game is, I don't care what new game you have, because like Call of Duty two was easily one of my favorites back yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Call of Duty, Call of Duty two was dope. Um, this episode of Swan on Me was dope. But like Call of Duty 2, it is now in the past. Um, this episode is over. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> so, uh, so first and foremost, in five seconds, right, right, exactly. So first and foremost, I want to thank um, Michael Block from We Are Chicago for coming and and talking about his amazing game and and uh, the important work that they're doing, not only with their game but the outreach and and the awareness that they're trying to to bring with that game. Uh, look for it really soon on uh, on your Steam platform of choice. Um, I want to thank uh, Kajakins wherever he is in uh, in Idis, right in Idisville, and yeah, and um, and uh, Paris Lily. Uh, I want to thank you for for coming along and and uh, giving us your two cents. Where can the people find you? There are a lot of places nowadays. Well, yeah, gee, let me let me go down the list. Actually, no, it's actually pretty simple. You can find me uh, at Gamertag Radio. We're part of CBS Radio, Play.it Podcast Network. And I also do a new podcast called Two Big Topics. And you can find that at, wait, I don't know the actual URL. Look, look it up on Google. It's Two Big Topics. Right. Two big, <laughs> Chris is going to kill me. Two big, He's like, how would you know the URL? But uh, no, Two Big Topics, it's just a podcast. I do. It's just pop culture, basically. Chris and I, he has one topic, I have one topic, and we just debate it out for about an hour, and I, I dig it. We only do it once a month, and it's a lot of fun. It is. And a matter of fact, we're going to do, the one we're going to do record tomorrow is going to be about Civil War, and then the second topic is going to be about Marvel and DC, why one seems to be able to get it right, and Ooh, the other one keeps wow. doing it wrong. I can't because, wait to hear it, yeah. Because I saw yeah. Civil War recently. After Batman vs Superman, and I have, I have, I have thoughts. No, and that's literally what made me <laughs> decide. Well, like, you know what? We should do this because after seeing Batman, Superman, and just walking out confused, and then seeing Civil War, and I got just this big stupid grin on my face. And when you really think about it, they're the same exact movie. Yeah. It's just one knew how to do it right, yeah. and the other one screwed it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, why, why did you say that name? Oh my God. Don't even. Um, yes. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yes. I almost said a spoiler. I got to be quick. Right, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so I'm looking at this. And yes, yeah, so you guys did Shaq and Kobe and Straight Out of Compton. Yep. And OJ Simpson and Bill Simmons, The Ringer. So, all right. I'm yeah. up down. Yeah. 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 Two Big Topics is really dope. Um, once a month, um, the April Fools episode actually April Fools you. Uh, so, that was really cool. Um, definitely go out and check out big, uh, two big topics. And, uh, you know, people want to find you on Twitter. Where- oh, you can find me on Twitter. Cause you know, I'm, I'm always grumpy and angry. Yes. Like my last name is Adams. Uh, <laughs> it's vicious six, nine, six on Twitter. Oh man. You can also find, uh, Paris Lily at crunch Temecula. Trying to deadlift. <laughs> yeah. like, you can also probably hey, find Hey, him. I'm I'm there four to five days every week. <laughs> yep. No doubt. And and you can pr- probably find him on some Destiny server as well. Yes, that is that is hard enough. You literally pulled me off of Destiny to be on here, <laughs> right. so yeah, this is true. Um so yeah, so I will uh as as is often the case, repeat our social media business. Uh, and it is as follows. If you want to find us on Twitter, just go to at Spawn on Me and you can find the rest of us, our rest of our stuff there. Um, you want to go to iTunes and Stitcher and or not Stitcher, but iTunes and Player FM and your favorite podcatcher. Find the show, rate the show, subscribe to the show. Tell your friends, um, tell your World War Two and World War One vets to listen um, and uh, recommend it to everyone. 
Um, find our site, spawnon.me. Find our uh, Patreon page, patreon.com slash spawnonme. Um, hey, look, you know, you guys are listening. You want us to do some really, really exciting things for E3. That's going to cost some money. So if you can help and contribute a little, that will definitely go a long way to helping us uh, defer some of the costs for E3. And uh, if you want to send us questions, you can send them to spawnonmepodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message and let your voice be heard at speakpipe.com slash spawnonme. Um, so that is everything. So I will say for the entire list of folks, uh, Mike Block, Khalif Adams, Paris Lilly, Sharif Jackson, I am Cicero Holmes, a.k.a. Stubby Stan. This is episode 109 of the Spawn On Me podcast, and we say peace. Peace. Peace.